blessed. Um, I want to back you up one slide to rem- yeah. Oh, whoo! I almost forgot. Children eight years old and younger can go back for Kids Corner. Eight years old and younger for Kids Corner. Wow, I'd have been shot. Thank you, Miss Patty. <laughs> Appreciate that. Amen. Great. For God so loved the world. Sing it with me. For God so loved the Amen, the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's right. God does love the world and every person in it. Did you know that? God has a passion for all people. We're continuing on uh, in the final chapter of the book of Jonah. Jonah chapter 4. But before we do, I'd like to share with you about a baseball umpire whose name was Bob Pinelli. During one game, Bob Pinelli called Babe Ruth out on strikes. The crowd fiercely booed, and Babe Ruth turned around to the umpire, and he said, there's 40,000 people here that know that last pitch was not a strike. You must be a tomato head. The rest of the players and the coaches were almost convinced that Babe Ruth was going to get ejected from the game. But instead, the cool-headed umpire quietly replied, Maybe so, babe, but mine is the only opinion that counts. May have been 40,000 people that thought it was a ball, but I thought it was a strike, and my opinion is the only one that counts. The truth is this. Believers need to realize that God's judgment is the only one that counts. If that's the case, and we do believe that God's judgment is the only one that counts, we got to resist getting angry, resist getting resentful, resist getting disappointed over God's decisions, but instead just rely on God's sovereign choices, whether we like it or not. God knows what He's doing, amen? He knows what what he's doing. In Jonah's story thus far, we have found that Jonah is having a real hard time getting on the same page with God. Have you ever found it difficult to get on the same page with God in your life? Amen? Amen, I have too. Think about Jonah. After he boarded his ship uh, in a harbor and boarded that boat, headed in the opposite direction from where God told him to go, Uh, his shipmates learn that he's the cause of this terrible storm that is brewed up in the sea, and they toss Jonah overboard. God provides a great fish which swallows Jonah, and then all of a sudden that, that big fish vomits him up on the beach. I know it sounds crazy, but Jonah's story is more about God's love and God's mercy than it is about God's discipline. It's more about second chances to receive the love of God, second chances to receive the mercy of God than it is about God's discipline. In fact, we found last week that God providing this whale, providing this great fish for Jonah in the storm-tossed sea is actually part of God's mercy toward Jonah. This whale swallowing Jonah is actually showing God's love. Huh? Does that make sense to you? 
It didn't me either. But think about it. If God just wanted to judge Jonah, then he would have just let him drown in the sea. But he didn't. The whale wasn't about judgment. The whale was more about salvation. The great fish wasn't about condemnation. It was more about mercy. More about showing the love of God. God didn't want to curse Jonah. He wanted to bless Jonah. He wanted to bless Jonah by inviting him to join in a work that God was doing in the most evil people on the earth in that day. He wanted to include Jonah. He wanted to bless Jonah by giving him another opportunity, a second chance to change his mind about serving God, to change his heart about serving God. He wanted to give him another opportunity to change to a positive spirit. He told Jonah to go to Nineveh to preach a message of judgment, but Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. He didn't want to go there. In fact, he would have been just fine if every single person in Nineveh would have just been struck dead by God. Jonah would have been fine with that. Jonah would have been just fine if God would have taken out his vengeance on that heartless and evil people that consistently tormented Israel. You see, over the years, the people of Nineveh had slaughtered many Israelites. And Jonah wanted a little payback. He wanted some payback. So Jonah does finally agree to go to Nineveh and preach. And here's the message he preach, preaches. Forty more days and Nineveh is toast. Forty more days, Nineveh is going to be history. Totally destroyed. Jonah knows that God is angry with the people of Nineveh. And Jonah wants them to get what they got coming. Amen? You ever wanted somebody to get what they got coming? Raise your hand. I have too. But then something crazy happens. The Ninevites responded to God. That evil and wicked people that had tormented the people of Israel for so long responded to God. They believed Him, and those people turned away from their evil ways with all seriousness. They began praying and fasting and speaking with God and turning away from their evil ways. And when God saw them turning away from their evil ways, God had compassion on those people. And he chose not to destroy them. You see, mercy triumphed over judgment. Say it with me. Mercy Mercy triumphed over judgment. God wants mercy to triumph over judgment in your life. We all tentatively raised our hands about wanting people to get what they got coming. But God wants to teach us today to have compassion for people, to have love for people, and to let mercy triumph over judgment. So let's see 
what happens next in the final chapter of Jonah. Jonah chapter 4. And I'm going to back up and, and read uh, verse 5 and 10, give us a little bit of context, and then we'll keep going. Verse 5. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Sackcloth was what they did to show that they were repenting and turning away from their sins. Verse 10. Then God saw their works, that they had turned from their evil way, and God relented. Relented from the disaster that he said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Yay! Right? Praise the Lord! He relented. He didn't turn Nineveh into toast. He, he didn't destroy them. Aren't you happy? Wouldn't you be happy? Chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, oh, Lord, was this not what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm, Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me. For it's better for me to die than to live. Then the Lord said, listen carefully. For the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city, and he sat on the east side of the city, and he made himself there a shelter, and he sat under it in the shade that he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah that he might be shaded for his, or have shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was gr very grateful for the plant. But as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm. And it so damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened that when the sun arose, that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. And then he wished for death himself and said, It's better for me to die than to live. Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And Jonah said, it is right for me to be angry, even unto death. But the Lord said, You have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not have pity in Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left? And much livestock? Let's pray. Lord, teach us how to have compassion for all people. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. So, it seems that God was no longer angry with Nineveh, but somebody else was. Jonah was angry. Here he is, the one who had recently experienced the grace of God in his own life. Here he is, the one who would have drowned had it not been for God's grace and love for him. 
Here he is, the one who had been rescued and was now being used by God's own hand. But instead of being compassionate toward those who are in need of the same grace he himself received, he cops an attitude. He puffs up and becomes angry. What is his deal? What is Jonah's problem? Is he too much like us? I'm so glad we never do things like Jonah did. Amen? Come on. But see, the story, this four chapters, it's not really about Jonah. This four chapters is not really about you. These four chapters is not about a great fish. These four chapters is not really about Jonah's rebellion. And really, it's not even about Nineveh's turn from evil. It's not about any of those things. The story of Jonah is about the very heart of God. Here's what you ought to learn from this story about Jonah. God loves all. Say all. Say it louder. God loves all people. God loves all people. God has a passion for all people who know Him. God has a passion for all people who don't yet know Him. God has a passion for all the people of the world, even those who are wicked and evil. Did you know that? He has a passion for them. God even has a passion for those who are rejecting Him still today. So today, I want to show you four ways that I see God showing His love for all people. First, I see that God reveals His love through compassion. Verse 1, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. That means he got real ticked off. Amen. It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. And so he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord. Anybody ever said that before? Oh, Lord. Was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish. For I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, that you're slow to anger and you're abundant in loving kindness. I know you're one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O oh Lord, please just take my life from me. It's better for me to die than to live through this. Then the Lord said to him, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? Is it right for you to be angry? You know, anger can be so unreasonable. Anger is so unreasonable. Most times, Anger is nothing more than a temper tantrum. Did you know that? I didn't get my way. So I'm going to puff up and get mad. But it's been said, speak when you're angry and you'll make the best speech you'll ever regret. Amen? Anger always fails. And this was certainly true for Jonah. Jonah has gone AWOL again. 
not absent without leave, Jonah's gone angry without love. And Jonah reacts to God's mercy on Nineveh a little bit differently than we might think. I would have expected uh, Jonah to jump for joy, a prophet of God, a preacher, if you will, jumping for joy that the people had turned from their evil ways. If I was Jonah, why, I'd be so thankful. They finally got it. They finally got the message I've been trying to preach to them. Oh, they finally turned from their evil ways and they believed God. But instead, Jonah's not interested one iota. Everybody know what iota is? that much amen Jonah's not interested one iota in God's mercy towards those people as far as he's concerned there's just some things that can't be forgiven true or false are there some things that cannot be forgiven true or false tell me something that can't be forgiven hmm Disbelief, unbelief, amen? That's what we're talking about. That's the only thing that can't be forgiven. But aside from that, there's nothing that a human being can do that cannot be forgiven. These Ninevites, they mutilated bodies of their enemies, burnt children, made piles of skulls of their enemies. Certainly they deserved God's fiercest judgment no matter what, right? So Jonah begins complaining about the perfect character of God. But you would have to agree with me that Jonah's thinking is quite absurd. His reasoning goes something like this. I knew it. You ever said that to God? I knew it. I knew you were going to do this. I knew it. That's why I ran away. I was afraid they'd repent, and I knew you'd have mercy. I knew it. They don't deserve it. Ever met somebody that didn't deserve God's mercy? Have you ever met anybody in your life that didn't deserve God's mercy? You have not. Not even the worst of the worst are undeserving of God's mercy. So Jonah knows that God might respond mercifully. He knows it because he's read it in the scriptures of how God described himself in Exodus 34, where God said, The Lord, the Lord your God, is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. So Jonah's kind of convicted, and he begins trying to justify himself. He realizes that God's not going to turn Nineveh into toast, even though in his eyes they deserved it. So what's Jonah doing? I think he's doing what sometimes we do. Jonah is trying to put God into his box. Jonah is trying to put God in his own theological box. If I think they don't deserve mercy, then God says they don't deserve mercy. That's not true. Jonah wants to try to control God. He wants to control God into the way that he believes. 
but it never works. God's not taking orders from us. He's not taking orders from atheists. He's not taking orders from Muslims or Hindus. He's not taking orders from anyone, even Jonah. And it frustrates Jonah so much that he even asks for death. If God's not going to do what he feels like he ought to do toward the Ninevites, then I might as well die. And although Jonah well deserves it, God does not scold him from heaven. Instead, God just asks a gentle, thoughtful question. Jonah, do you have any right to be angry? Did I not show my mercy on you? Did I not pour out my grace on you? So this brings us to a second way that God shows his love for all people. And he does it especially for Jonah because God reveals his love in a classroom. Check out this field trip. Jonah chapter 4 and verse 5. So Jonah went out of the city and sat down on the east side of the city, and there he made himself a shelter, sat under it in the shade, till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm, and it so damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened that when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint and then he wished for death to come to himself and said, it is better for me to die than to live. While Nineveh was busy praying for deliverance, praying that they might receive the mercy of God, Jonah was outside the city hoping they'd be destroyed. They're praying for deliverance. The man of God is hoping for destruction. Jonah goes outside the city. He builds himself a nice little hut, and he becomes a spectator. And I believe his thinking went something like this. Once a Ninevite, always a Ninevite. Once a drunk, always a drunk. Once an addict, always an addict. Once an adulterer, always an adulterer. Once a thief, always a thief. And he says, I think, God, you're becoming a little too hasty with this blanket forgiveness stuff. Give them a little time. Just wait. They'll show their spots. You'll see. Ever done that? Somebody trying to recover from alcoholism? Oh, don't worry, God, don't worry. They'll show themselves. So Jonah knows these people. And he believes that they will eventually show their spots. And then God will see that Jonah was right all the time. But instead, God goes to incredible lengths to communicate to Jonah. Here we see that God provides a shelter above Jonah's shelter. I picture it as kind of a vine with big old leaves. 
And those broad leaves provided even more shade for Jonah to have comfort. And here we see for the first time in the whole story, first time in four chapters, Jonah's finally happy. He's happy because God has blessed him with this shade. Finally, Jonah is happy. He's absolutely delighted. He's absolutely content to be the beneficiary of God's blessing. He's excited to have received the compassion of God, the mercy of God. He's received it, and there he sits in his comfort, in the shade. But as soon as God provides the vine, the next day he also provides a worm. And that worm destroys the plant. Then he provides a windstorm, this blast out of the east. Suddenly, Jonah's not happy no more. One minute, he's receiving the grace of God and the mercy of God in the shade, kicking back. The next minute, it's gone, and Jonah's not happy anymore. Sound familiar? Do we not do the same thing? Once again, Jonah's angry, and he's ready to die. So much like us. Man, we're receiving the good things from God, and we're happy. But the minute things don't go our way, we're angry, sad, sometimes even to the point of wanting to die. And that brings me to the third way that God shows His love for all people. And that is God reveals His love through a connection. Look there in verse 9. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about this plant? And Jonah said, It is right for me to be angry, even to death. But the Lord said, You have had pity on the plant for which you did not labor, nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in her night. Jonah's confused. He's got no right to be angry. If anyone has the right to be angry, it's God. You know, I read uh, an illustration about an old Hebrew story, and that Hebrew story tells of Abraham sitting outside of his tent one night, and this old man, weary from age and weary from a long journey, comes toward him. Abraham rushes out, and he greets the man, and then invites him in his tent, and then he washes the old man's feet and provides some food and drink for him. Immediately, that old man begins to eat the food without a prayer or without giving thanks. So Abraham asks him, don't you worship God? And the old traveler said, I only worship fire, and I don't worship any other gods. Abraham got so infuriated, he grabbed that old man and threw him out of the tent. And when that old man had departed, God called to his old friend Abraham and he said, Where's the stranger? And Abraham proudly said, I forced him out because he didn't worship you, Lord. And God said back to him, Do you mean to tell me I have endured him for 80 years, although he dishonors me and you could not endure with him one night? It's God who hates sin. 
It's God who hates evil. It's God who hates violence more than we ever could. Yet he exercises patience, forbearance, perseverance with us, giving us an opportunity, hoping that one day we'll turn from our evil ways and seek his face. This is Jonah's problem. He's not seeing the world like God sees the world. He's not even seeing himself like God sees him. Instead, Jonah values a plant and hates a whole nation of people. He's angry about the death of a plant and absorbed in self-centeredness about it while he watches a lost nation on a one-way track to destruction. As far as he was concerned, mercy was all right for him, but it certainly wasn't worthy for those Ninevites to receive. So while God was into reconciliation, wanting to draw people into a relationship with him, Jonah was all about the revenge. Jonah was all about retaliation. And so that brings me to a fourth way that God shows his love for all people. And that is that God reveals his love through concern. Last verse. And the Lord is speaking here and says, And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left, and much livestock? The description of the people that cannot tell their right hand from their left describes a person that doesn't know the difference between good and evil. It's God's own testimony. It's God's own word describing the people of Nineveh as being in moral bondage. Just like we once were. Amen? Listen to what Paul wrote to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 2. And he made you alive, you who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the son of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just like the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us. Although the Ninevites were of very little worth to Jonah, they were of enormous worth to God. And God even asked Jonah to have a little compassion, even on the cows, if he can muster it up. So the story of Jonah ends in the presence of God. Did you notice that? This whole story ends with Jonah in the presence of God. The story ends with a question. It ends with a question in which there's no answer given. The question is this. God's saying, should I pity these 120,000 people who are in captivity to sin and Satan? Should I have mercy on them? Again, there's no answer given, but I want to tell you 
that an answer is expected from you and me. We are left face to face here with God's love, with God's compassion, and having received the mercy and grace of God ourselves, do you agree with God that people who are without Christ are lost? Having received the mercy and grace of God, like God, do you have a compassion for people that don't have a relationship with God? Having you yourself received the mercy and grace of God, like God, do you have a compassion for the lost? If so, how are you showing that compassion? You know, we always assume that God loves us more than he does our enemies. We think to ourselves, well, at least I'm not as bad as them. But as soon as you start falling into that type of thinking, you misunderstand God's heart altogether. The minute you start thinking like that, you don't see others with the eyes of God. You yourself will have put God in a box. Friend, there are people in trouble. This world is filled with them. People in dire trouble. They are lost, and that means they're in danger of hell. They're all around you. Are you concerned like God is? God wants you to value Not just obedience, but he wants you to value his heart. He wants more than just obedience from us. He wants us to value what he values. And you know what God values? People. God values people. God wants us to love all people. I read where Henry Ford purchased this large insurance policy. And the amount was so big, and of course, Henry Ford was so famous that the Detroit newspapers made a story about it. The news story was read by one of Ford's old friends that happened to be in the insurance business. So he went up to Ford and asked him if it was true, and Ford said, yeah, it's true. And he said, well, why didn't you buy the policy from me? I'm a friend, and I've been in the insurance business for years. And Ford replied this, you never asked me. You never asked me. How many of our friends can say to us, you never asked me? How many of our friends can say to us, you never asked me if I was a believer? You never asked me if I wanted to go to heaven. You never asked me. Friend, God's concern is people. And he uses you and I to reach people. Do you share God's concern? Do you share God's concern? Do you share God's passion for people? All ages, all sizes, all ethnicities, all people. If you do, 
share God's passion for people. Are you willing to act on God's passion? Even if you find his calling difficult to love people, will you still realize that the people you struggle over, those people that are unlovable, anybody know unlovable people? Even them. Realize that those people you struggle over are no, no more and no less God's concern than you are. God loves them the same as he does you. Be willing to act on God's passion. Be willing to reflect God's passion. Friend, there are people all around us lost and going to hell. And their rejection of the Creator breaks his heart. And God wants it to break ours as well. Be willing to act on God's passion. Be willing to reflect God's passion. But most of all, be willing to share. Be willing to share the passion of God. Be willing to share the love of God. Let God move you into the life of an unbeliever. Let him do it at work. Let him do it at school. Let him do it at the store. And when he does, you make sure you tell him how much God loves them. That God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. So what are you going to do with God's passion toward you? Are you going to receive it? Or are you going to reject it? Are you going to act on it? Or are you going to sit on it? Are you going to reflect it? Or are you going to be walking in darkness? Are you going to be sharing it? Are going to be selfish and just keep it to yourself? For God so loved the world and all its people that he sent his son that if they would believe that God would relent from destroying them, they would not perish but would have the greatest reward known to man everlasting life in heaven with God. It's decision time. Receive it or reject it. The choice is yours. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for stories that so wonderfully illustrate your love. And Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus Lord, that you would help us to have a compassion, have a concern for all people, just like you do. Lord, there is not one person on the face of this earth that doesn't deserve mercy. Oh, we think they do. Oh, what they've done is too, too evil, too bad. But he's a person. She's a person. And you created her. And you love her. And you want her to come to you. You want him to, to accept you. You want him to believe. Lord, use us. Lord, if we've been failing and acting on your passion, reflecting your passion or sharing your passion, Lord, help us to repent. Help us to turn away from that kind of behavior. Because in your eyes, that's 
no different than some kind of outward sin. Father, thank you for being so merciful to me. Thank you for that wretched person you forgave. Thank you, Lord, for the only begotten Son of God who was given to me, given to the world, that if we believe, we would not perish, but have everlasting life. Father, have your will and your way with this decision time. Father, if there's a decision to be made, what a wonderful day, the Lord's day, to make that decision. Lord, we pray it in Jesus' name. And all the people of God said, 